0: loves a comeback and it doesn't matter if it's about an individual or a marriage or a group or a business or even an army. We love sports comebacks. You think about some of the greatest literature that we have. It's about somebody overcoming It's a story that, that somebody wins against all odds, right? One of my favorite comeback stories ever is about a guy named Bernie Marcus. Uh, Bernie was the son of an immigrant Russian cabinet maker, and he worked at a store called Handy Dan. Now, I don't know why anybody would name their store Handy Dan, but, but it was like one of those do-it-yourself, home improvement type of stores. And, and they actually fired Marcus in, in, in 1978, and they said that he was lazy and incompetent. Well, just a few years later, he teams up with this guy named Alan Blank, and they launched their own do-it-yourself improvement store. Their first store was, was in Atlanta, Georgia. You may have heard of it. It's called The Home Depot. Yeah, and literally now they're all over the world, and these two guys are worth billions of dollars. It's crazy. You want to talk about a comeback. That is a pretty good comeback, I would say. Or what about a lady named Wilma? Rudolph. You probably never heard of her, but her comeback story is amazing. She was born uh, the 20th child of 22 children. That's crazy. That is absolutely. Nuts that doesn't make any sense you want to talk about being born at a deficit I mean like you you're born like the third or fourth child now it's like they don't even care about you You're like number four, but could you imagine being number 20 out of 22? It's like they don't even know you exist, but what's amazing is she was born premature Uh, She was born months and months early, and they thought she was going to die but she didn't die but at age four if that wasn't hard enough, at age four, she, she contracted double pneumonia, and at the very same time, she came down with scarlet fever. It nearly killed her, and it left her paralyzed in her left leg. Back in the early to mid-1940s, they would outfit a paralytic with one of these old-fashioned sort of metal braces, and that's exactly what they did for her, and, and it helped her to at least get around, but when she was just nine years old, she decided that she wanted to walk for real. They told her she could never do it, and she decided she wanted to run, and they said, don't try, don't try. You're just going to end up with a crushed heart. But check this out. At age nine, she decided that she wants to walk, and she more than wants to walk, she wants to run. And more than just running, she wants to be a racer. And so she literally takes her brace off and says, I don't need it anymore. And she teaches herself to walk. The doctor said literally that it was a miracle, that that they were shocked at it because she taught herself what they called a rhythmatic walk, which became a rhythmatic run. And so she decides at age 10 that she's going to race. And so she enters her first race and she loses. She loses miserably. Uh, As a matter of fact, for the next several years, she lost every single race she ever entered until she was almost 16 years old. She won her first run. She won her first race. And just a couple years later, in 1956, she enters the Olympics and doesn't just medal in one, not just two, but she ends up winning three gold medals in the Olympics. I would say that's a pretty big comeback, wouldn't you? Have you heard of a guy named Douglas MacArthur? Uh, He applied to West Point Military Academy not just once, not just twice, but three times. The first two times he was utterly rejected, saying that he was not competent to become a military officer. But if you know the backstory of MacArthur, he not only became a military officer, he became a general in the United States Army, and not just a general, but the general of the United States Army. And he literally led the allied forces, the United States, to victory over Japan in World War II, not a bad comeback. Or have you heard of a guy named Albert Einstein? Did you know that Einstein was actually kicked out of school? He was expelled from school because he was said to be too dumb to keep up with the other kids. And so Albert Einstein goes home and he not only educates himself, but he teaches himself at the highest of levels, the entire understanding of calculus in six months as a young teenager, not bad. And of course, in 1905, he published a series of papers that literally began the foundation for the nuclear age in which we live now. I would say he did all right. That's a comeback, if I've ever seen a comeback. Now, none of these, Comebacks are the greatest comeback ever, though. You you understand that. These these aren't the greatest comebacks. Uh, As a matter of fact, there's another guy that maybe you've heard of. His name is Thomas Edison. Uh, He was kicked out of school because they said he was too slow mentally to achieve. So he was kicked out of school, but but Edison ends up having 1,300 patents and invents the light bulb and takes energy and electricity and puts it into the, the average American home. I would say... He did pretty good, that's a comeback. History is filled with comebacks and we could go on and on and on and talk about them. And, and they're the things of life that fire us up. I want, to, I want you to see a comeback story. It's, a, it's a, about a guy named Robert Rathwell and, and he's a, f- a good friend of some of us around here and, and I think his story is just really worth telling. I was a semi-skilled,
1: if you stretch it, blue-collar guy, I still feel blue-collar, Hilo driver, who was just living, figuring it out himself, with no guidance of the Lord. I went to work one day as a young guy, 24, and I couldn't get back home because I was involved in an accident whereby I ended up blind, totally blind. My my whole frontal lobe was crushed that's that's right here that's the the forehead when i got out of surgery they had put me back together again here about the top of the nose up i was wrapped in bandages right up to the top but i knew there was something uh, wrong with my sight because blindness is is inside it, i could there's a darkness here that's inside, it's a lack of a connection on the inside. I could tell this is too dark. I've never seen this kind of dark before. And sure enough, when they took the bandages off and I opened my eyes, there was no difference. I never dreamt of being blind. It wasn't the last thing on my mind. It was never on my mind. It is as though, looking back at this, that the Lord said, let it go this far, no further. I felt destroyed. It took, you know, it, it took, I, I don't know how many months I did this to, to see that this really happened. This is a dream. It's got to be a dream. But I found myself in a spot where I can exercise every muscle in the body, but I can't exercise my eyes to make them work again. But the Lord had a plan here, I'm going to therapy. There was a young woman in there who was a Bible-believing Christian therapist. He used her to uh, persist in uh, accompanying me and being my friend. One Sunday in May, 1981, I went to her church, I sat way in the back. She was in the choir, so I was alone in the back. Must have been 500 people clapping their hands, singing these type of songs one after another. That blew me away. But uh, I heard the gospel. Somehow I heard the gospel there at that church. The man was talking about Pilate and how Pilate was asking the crowd, and I wasn't versed in the Bible, but he was asking at that time, he was, and he was asking them, what, what are you going to do with this man? What should I do with this man called Christ? You know, then it, it, the story came to, they had this criminal Barabbas. And what do you, which one do you want? You've got a law. I can give you Christ. Pilate tries to do this, but the people say, no, no, give us Barabbas. Release Barabbas. Well, this guy is never this other guy. Crucify him. And what he ended up making evident was, Christ died being mindful of you. Mindful of you. The extent of my spirituality back then was simply, I do believe in heaven and hell and I don't wanna go to the latter. Hell. He was He actually was mindful of me in this fact that I was a sinner and that I needed something that only he could do for me, that I couldn't do or no man or woman could do for themselves. He could do it. He did it. Well, I didn't care anything about it before, but when I heard that talk, I knew I cared about it then. And I went down to what they call an altar call. I went down. And that was the beginning of the change. It took 10 years before I could get a Bible that I could read. 10 years. My case is very unusual. You know what, you know how I counted. Was this the judgment of the Lord? Did he judge me? Well, maybe. It says in there someplace, I believe, In Psalm 19, his judgments are true and altogether righteous. If you've been afflicted and that affliction has made you wake up, of course you will count it a blessing. He gives us time to come past our rabid anger and all that stuff that accompanies it. The depression, the sadness, the doubt, all these things. He'll give you the staying power because this is how many of us come. And whether this thing was a judgment of the Lord or just happened, because stuff happens in this life. In either case, I've been blessed the way I reckon it. Because if his love was going to get through to Robert, it had to be so severe Blindness is severe. It had to be so severe as to be something like this. How does that song go? Um, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. His blindness he's speaking of there is being completely unaware of spiritual light. And, of course, the irony must be evident to many of you. While while my eyes worked to, to transmit physical light, my heart absolutely had the veil across it. And when this affliction came at the eyes, it led to a search for, where's the light? Is there light in this matter? and the search ended up resulting in light. Heart light. If you don't know light exists, you're not following the light. You don't even have a thirst for the light. What do you mean light? You know, I can speak now as a blind man concerning physical light. This is what you and I are like, talking to someone who's blind in spirit. Catch them when they're in an affliction, and you'll catch them when their soil is fertile because affliction is how many of us wake up. Today, the Lord has a ministry in me. I don't say I have a ministry. I say he has a ministry in me. I speak a word of encouragement, the gospel to men at the Detroit Rescue Mission on a regular basis. I have been doing it for years now. I never imagined how I could stand up in front of people, a room full of people, and speak to them out of the Bible? It's so much more than just, just religion, which allows you just to go through the motions. There's much more than that. So I I speak the word now, and I'm up there not stammering, and it is so gratifying. I mean it all the time. It's a terrible, there is a really crushing aspect to being in the dark all the time. And and I also see it this way in a funny way. Blindness is something that is to be dealt with from my point of view every day. By his wounds, you really
0: know that your wounds have been healed what an amazing story you know when you think of robert he he says he was once blind but now he sees but we go no 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 no! he used to see but now he's blind but robert doesn't think that way not at all what an amazing comeback and, and, you know, the scripture is filled with stories just like this. Uh, there's a story in the Old Testament part of the Bible about a guy named Joseph. And uh, he was the youngest of 12 brothers. And his brothers did not like him because the father was, you know, chose him as his favorite. And so all favoritism went toward this Joseph guy, right, this younger brother. And so eventually these brothers end up deciding to get rid of him. And they literally throw him in a pit. They hold him until they can find a slave trader to to literally buy him. And so he's bought from these brothers and he's taken into Egypt and and he becomes a slave in Egypt. And when he gets to Egypt, he's accused of of terrible things. And he ends up in prison and and life could not get any worse for him. But he was faithful to God. He was faithful to God. And eventually God helped Joseph rise to a prominent position. He ends up becoming the prime minister of all of Egypt, second only to the king of Egypt, to the pharaoh of Egypt. I would call that a pretty amazing comeback story. Uh, Or maybe you got the guy named Moses, right? I mean, he's born into this Jewish family. And uh, the the pharaoh, the the king over Egypt, decides to kill all the uh, Hebrew babies. And so his mom sets him into this river on this little floating thing. and, And he ends up being picked up. Uh, by, by the daughter of Pharaoh. And he's up, he ends up being adopted into Pharaoh's own family and raised in utter luxury. Eventually, some things go terribly wrong in his life. and He ends up murdering a guy and, and he's forced to flee Egypt. And he ends up spending 40 years in the wilderness, what, what many people would consider wasting his life. But there was a comeback with Moses, right? He ends up being called by God because he was faithful to God. He wanted to, to obey the voice of God in his life. And he makes a comeback and he goes back into Egypt and becomes the great deliverer of the Hebrew people. I would call that a pretty doggone good comeback story. Or, or maybe you've heard of a guy named David. He he eventually became king over Israel. You might have heard of uh, David and Goliath, right? And David kills Goliath. But but if you know a little bit more of his story, David just about ruined his life. He he ends up having this affair and he, and he utterly destroys his family. Um, he ends up having a man murdered and he has this guilt uh, uh, all over him. He about lost his entire kingdom. He, he lost the respect of his people. But David repents and he turns back to God and, and God uses David to unite the people and to build a kingdom that brought glory and honor to God. And through David, Jesus comes onto the scene. What an incredible comeback story. Or think about in the New Testament, there's this guy named Paul. And I don't know how familiar you are with the Bible, but in the New Testament, there's this guy named Paul. And he was a, a Jewish man who, who hated Jesus. He hated Christians and, and literally he, he killed Christians. He, he he set out to destroy the Christian faith. And, and yet one day he is actually heading to a town in order to kill some Christians, and he has this miraculous moment where he runs into Jesus, where where Jesus literally appears to him and, and it changes his life. And he has a total turnaround and he ends up going around the entire Roman world. And he starts little church after little church after little church. And if it wasn't for Paul, you and I would not be here today. But none of those were the greatest comeback ever. Not a one of them. As a matter of fact, this is gonna so surprise you. Uh, back in 2001, Sports Illustrated had this list of the top 10 comebacks of all time. And, and all, almost all of them, not all of them, but most all of them were sports related, right? And they had some of the big ones. But, but guess what number 10 was? It's gonna shock you. They said the greatest comeback of all time was actually Jesus. It was actually Jesus, because they said whether you believe in him or not, they said he changed the world. You cannot deny that, that he came from nothing and, and rose to literally change the world. That's why we're here. We celebrate Easter because of the comeback of Jesus coming back from the grave, that death could not hold him. And maybe you're familiar with the story. Maybe you've been around church a little bit. But just to kind of catch you up to speed, Jesus comes into this world. He is the son of God. He is God made flesh. That's what we believe as Christians. And and he comes for a very specific purpose to redeem people. People think that Jesus came to condemn people. He did not people think that God wants to condemn. No, no, no. The scripture says, I did not send my son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. You see, because Jesus ends up giving his life as a ransom for all of our sin, for the payment of all of our sin. He literally dies on the cross for all of our sin. And you might know that story because Jesus was preaching to people and teaching people and loving people and and many, many people were starting to follow him and and they were saying, this is different. This is the kind of God that we, we can understand. This is the kind of relationship with God that we want. And so he begins to teach the people about the love of God, the mercy of God and the grace of God. But the religious community and the Roman community of his day wanted nothing to do with it because he was turning the world upside down. He was turning the political structures upside down and the military structures upside down. And Jesus was teaching these crazy thoughts about loving one another and loving your enemies and, and getting along and, and loving God and not looking toward religion to save you, but to look toward a relationship with God to save you. And, and so the religious leaders of his day decided that they needed to put an end to Jesus. And so through one of his friends, his one of his best friends. They found a betrayer. His name was Judas. And Judas literally sells Jesus out to these religious leaders for just a few bucks. And 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 they come and they arrest Jesus. And I don't know if you've ever heard this story or not, but but they were merciless on Jesus. They beat Jesus. It says that they held this trial and it was a fake trial. And and yet they were relentless toward him and and they condemned him and brought one one false accusation after another, and they said he was a terrible human being. But but if you read the life of Jesus, you know that he was not. He was none of the things that they said. And yet they and yet they continued to mock him and beat him. And it says that they brought him before Rome and Rome virtually beat him to the point where they could not even tell that he was a man any longer, that they took his beard and they they pulled his beard from his flesh so much so that they could not even recognize who he was. And then it says eventually that they dragged him through the streets and they put a cross on his shoulders and then they laid him down and then then they nailed him to a Roman cross and, and And we often think of a Roman cross as being way up in the air and like, you know, you see these Hollywood movies and like, oh, he's way up in the air. That wasn't how Rome crucified people. Usually they crucified people just about a foot off the ground so that others could come and mock him. So that others could come and spit at his face. And that's what they did. And so he's hanging on this cross and people would come and they would say terrible things and they would mock him and they would curse him and they would spit on him. And in that moment, Jesus ends up saying one of the most profound things ever. Father, forgive them, for they do not understand what they do. But did you know, before he gave up his spirit, he was utterly alone? Everybody abandoned him. Everybody turned and walked away from him. Eventually, they took his body and they put it into this tomb of a rich man, a man named Joseph of Arimathea, and they buried him there thinking it was over and done. They thought that, that, that the one who said, look for me because I'm coming back in three days. They thought he was done. They thought it was over. And the entire movement of Jesus was finished. Everybody left. Nobody thought there was any sort of comeback. But little did they know that there was a comeback coming. And we call this Easter today. But it is the day where, where Jesus comes back from the grave. The scripture records that he was dead in the tomb for three days. But listen to how Matthew, one of the eyewitnesses of his death and resurrection, listen to how one of them records it in Matthew chapter 28. And it says, after the Sabbath, at the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and they became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said, come and see the place where they lay him. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you this. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he says. They came to him, clasped his feet and they worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There I will see them. You want to talk about a comeback. You want to talk about beating all odds. You want to talk about when everybody considers you gone and out. What are we doing today? What are we doing right here, right now? We are celebrating Easter and Easter is not about a chocolate bunny. Easter is not about our little girls and little dresses and all cute and ham at grandma's house. I love all that. I love chocolate. Let me tell you something. Easter is about the resurrection of Jesus, the greatest comeback ever. And here's the deal. Here's the deal. There are some in this room and I get it. You're going, I don't know that I can believe that. I don't know that I can believe uh, 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 that that there was a dead man and now he is alive. That, that, That he was gone, but now here and that he lives even today. And I get it. That is nearly impossible to believe. I get it. But this is what we believe as Christians. This is central to our faith. And we don't just believe because of faith and faith alone out there. No, 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 we don't believe because of some blind type of faith. I want you to think about what happens with all of this. Even some of his closest disciples, some of the closest followers, had trouble believing. I mean, how how difficult would it be be, uh, to, to be told or to have all of your hope and faith in this guy who's supposed to change the world, who's supposed to be the Messiah, the savior of the world, only to be put to death by Rome? How difficult would it be to see that with your own eyes and then and then to believe that he has risen from the grave. It's not easy, and it wasn't easy even for some of the earliest followers of Jesus. As a matter of fact, John, one of the eyewitnesses to this whole deal, he he ends up telling uh, about how Jesus appears to, to some of the closest followers after his death. This is very interesting. It's in John chapter 20. and I just want to read part of it for you because it's amazing. It says, On the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Now, why were they afraid? It was because because this movement, uh, this Jesus movement had started and it was sweeping the area and they wanted to crush it. And they thought that by, by putting the end of Jesus that the movement would die away. And just to be sure, some of the Jewish leaders wanted to kill all of the early Christian leaders. And so they were huddled together, they were in fear, and then it says all of a sudden Jesus came and stood among them and said peace be with you. Now why do you think he has to say peace be with you? Because if a guy who is supposed to be dead is suddenly standing in front of you, you are freaked out. You are freaked out, right? And so you're like, what in the world? He says, no, 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 no. It's okay. Don't be afraid. It's me. It's the one that you had put your hope in. It's the one who brought you all of the joy, the one that you had banked your future on. It's me. Do not be afraid. And as he was saying this, it says that he he ends up showing the disciples his hands and his feet so they could see the scars, so they could see the hole that that, that the nail driven through his hand left, that, that they could see the hole left in his feet because of the nails driven through his feet or ankle area. Uh, the, he, he says, I get it. It's it's hard to believe. I get it. It's, it's difficult to believe. But look, see, see for yourself. But it says this. Interesting. Now, there was one of the 12, One of the early followers of Jesus, one of the disciples, his name was Thomas. He was also known by another name, Didymus. OK, and I'm not sure what even that name means, but I like Thomas better. And it says that Thomas was one of the twelve, but he was not with the disciples when Jesus came and appeared. And so the other disciples told him about it. They said, yeah, we've seen him. We've seen him and we've seen him, but he still did not And he says this, he says, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his side where where the spear pierced him, I will not believe. He wasn't with the first ones that saw him. And so he's left in the dark and he's like, you guys are crazy. You guys are saying that a man I saw die is now alive. And they're going, yeah, that's what he told us it would be like. That, that's what he told us would happen. He, that he, now it all makes sense, but he's going, it doesn't make sense to me. And so Thomas gets this nickname that we give him. We call him Doubting Thomas or Thomas the Doubter because he had trouble. And so he says, unless I see it for myself. And then it says this. This is very interesting. It says that a week later, the earliest followers of Jesus, the 12 disciples were gathered together. And this time Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked. Here's what it says. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. I don't know if he, like, came through the wall. I don't know if he just, like, appeared. I don't know if he came through a window. I'm not really sure. But all I know is he wasn't there and now he's there. And again, he says first words, peace be with you. Because why? They are freaked out again. I mean, half of them have already seen him once and they're like, oh, yeah, we believe. But they're still freaked out because you don't often see dead man walking. Right. Uh, that's just like a movie that we have. That That's like the walking dead. Right. But, but you don't really see that in life. But they're seeing it. And so they're freaked out. And Thomas was freaked out. And so Jesus says, peace be with you. And then he turns to Thomas directly and says, Thomas, I get it. Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it on my side. Stop doubting and believe. Then Thomas says to him, my Lord and my God. And he literally worships Jesus. Because all of a sudden he goes from doubt to belief. But Jesus tells you and me something. He says this, listen carefully, knowing that we're going to sit here thousands of years later, knowing that you and I are going to have the same struggle for belief, that that we're going to have doubt rising up inside of us. He says this, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed, though, are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. The Christian faith has at its core the belief in the resurrection of Jesus. Christianity does not have merely as a tenet of our faith this belief in the resurrection. No, it is central to what we believe. Without the resurrection, there is no Christianity at all. Without the resurrection, there is no church. Without the resurrection, there is no Easter. There is no you and me sitting together, singing songs, worshiping God. There is no transformed life because the Spirit of God at work in us. No, 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 no. The Christian faith has at the very center of our belief, the resurrection of Jesus. As a matter of fact, some of the earliest followers of Jesus who banked on this, like this Thomas, you, you need to understand what happened to Thomas. Thomas, who was the doubter, Thomas, who had struggled to believe, he ends up taking the gospel message, the very first one, to the nation of India. And he goes as a missionary to India in around 70 AD, and he starts to preach the gospel of Jesus everywhere. And thousands and thousands and thousands of people come to faith in Jesus in in India. And so many people came to faith that the Brahmin priest decided that he must be dealt with. And one day in 72, A.D., when when Thomas was was in prayer, when Thomas was unsuspecting, one of the priests comes and literally murders Thomas. He died for the very thing that he had trouble believing in. And let me tell you something, friends. You will die for a lot of different things if you believe in it. You will die for your family if you love your family. You will die for a cause if you believe in it. But you will not die for a lie. You will not die because because you hope something is true. Thomas was willing to give up his life because he came to believe because he saw it with his own eyes. And this was true for all of the early followers of Jesus. Almost every one of them gave up their life because they believed it. Paul, this this man who used to kill Christians, ends up giving up his own life eventually. But before he died, this is what Paul said about faith in the resurrection of Christ. He says, if Christ has not been risen from the grave, he says this, if Christ has not been risen from the grave. Let me say that again. If Christ has not been risen from the grave, he says, our preaching is useless. It is useless. And so is your he says, if Christ has not been risen from the dead, he says that, that when we die, we're lost. When we die, it's all over. Nothing matters at all of eternity. He says this, if, if Christ has not been risen from the grave, he says, we are to be pitied above all men, above all men. He understood that the very reason he was willing to give his life is because he saw the risen Christ. Let me tell you again, friends. Let me tell you again that you will die for a lot of things, but you will not die for a a lie, something that you know is not true. This is one of the core reasons why I believe in the resurrection of Jesus, because the very men who saw this, who, who, who could have walked away and said, no, 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 it's all a lie. They could have just walked away. They could have spared their own lives, but they didn't, because once you see a dead man walking, you won't turn away. Once you see a dead man come back to life, you can't just look at that and say, ah, no big deal. No, no, no. It changes everything. And here's what we need to know today. This is how Easter changes us today. It says that when you come to faith, when you get past all of your doubts, when you, when you come to believe in the resurrected Christ, it changes you, it changes the game for you. As a matter of fact, it says in Romans chapter 8, it says that if the spirit of him, if the spirit of God who raised Christ from the dead lives in you, it says that he who raised Christ from the dead will also raise you to life, that he will give you life because of because of God's power at work inside of you, it will change you, it will grow you, you'll experience a comeback, that things will change, that, that if you let God have more and more and more and more of you, that that more of you will change That things will grow in your life, things will come back to life inside of you. I don't know if you remember the Rocky movies, right? Now, you want to talk about a great comeback story, but, but Rocky entered the ring and he was beat. I think he was beat by the Russian guy. Remember that Russian guy? He was beat by, by Apollo. Wasn't like Mr. T, one of the guys in the Rocky movies? I think he was, and, and he was beat down. There was all these people who beat him down, but every time he he came back, right? Uh, because there was there was something in his spirit. There was something in his soul. But let me tell you something, for people of faith, when you come to know who he is, something rises up inside of you and it is not over. You know, you enter the ring of life every day. You you may not be rocky, but but you have a fight. Every one of us has a fight. And here's what the Easter story means. The Easter story means that, that you are not alone in this fight. The Easter story means that the power of God is inside of you. The Easter story means that that, that the risen Christ is rising up inside of you. When when you come to faith, when you you move beyond doubt, it says that the Spirit of God takes up the fight with you. And and so let me tell you something, friends. I get it. I mean, all of us have these fights, and and, and your fight could be your marriage right now, and you think your marriage is up against the ropes. Let me tell you something. You can have a comeback in your marriage. You might have a habit that is destroyed, you. you might have an addiction that has got a hold on you, and you think that, that you are never going to be free. But, but let me tell you something. The Easter story means that you can have a comeback, that you uh, don't have to be defeated. Uh, it could be that you are not advancing in your career, or you might think that somehow your finances are never going to get better. Let me tell you something. You can have a comeback. You can be free. You might think that you can never come back because you can't get past your past. You're reminded of things that you did years and years ago that, that you're ashamed of now. Let me tell you something there are greater things ahead of you there are greater things in your life there are greater things that god wants to do inside of you you can have a comeback that is what easter is all about that is what the resurrection of christ is all about that his spirit can take up residency within you and do more in you than you can ever imagine for yourself burn it down